even downright cruddy, buddy, buddy. Wish I missed the past, buddy, buddy, but there's still buddy cast. No, don't be naughty, go meet everybody here on buddy cast. It's another case of the Monday here on Buddy Cast. I'm here with my new buddy, Tom Drake. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, and I'm looking at my picture, though, and I think I did something. People that uh, know would know me and listen know that I'm terribly technically uh, when it comes to this stuff, and I think um, I don't have my thing camera on the high def or something, so I'm thinner than normal. Uh, <laughs> my face is normally the size of a, of a watermelon, and uh, now it's uh, kind of on the thin side, so... Uh, <laughs> Hey, you look good. Anyway, yeah. like I like the theme song. I like that a lot. It's got a nice. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. We support you the local artists here, so that's fabulous. You don't know Dick Clark, but I he would have given a ten. Nice. Yeah. I feel honored. Yeah. I feel honored. So you, my friend, are a fellow comedian. Yes. How did you get into comedy? I uh, I I lost my mind. Is you know, Henny Yemen once said, "If you want to get into comedy, you fill your your mouth full of marbles." And then you take the marbles out one at a time. And when you lost all your marbles, uh, yeah, then you get into comedy. I was uh, in, in conventional living for many years, a salesman for Chevron Chemical Company, Carnation Company, ran a Goodyear tire store, lots of good stuff. Got in the bar business, and I had always fooled with stand-up, but there was never any money in it. And I moved to Florida 27 years ago, a long time ago. Started going to open mic nights and, and uh, mics and uh, you know open mic nights. And I was a little ahead of the curve to the other guys. And, and then I started doing it a little more and a little more. And then, uh, was offered an audition for cruise lines 25 years ago, I guess. Uh, that was very successful. Seven cruise lines offered me work sadly, or unfortunately I didn't have the material for the job, but I took it anyway. I'm from Jersey. We mm. work, we take the, we say yes, and then we'll figure it out. So, and I've been doing that ever since. And, you know, that's my main, uh, well, was my main revenue source was a comedian on cruise ships all over the world. Uh, right now, I'm sitting around waiting for you know vaccine and everything like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the early stages of your career? Like you mentioned the cruise lines, you mentioned the open mics. Sure, when I was in New Jersey doing open open mic night, you went up and you know I teach it and I tell people all the time that you know there's no way around it. You have to just get on stage, get on stage, keep doing it, keep doing it. Bomb, forget your material, do whatever you want. I also encourage uh, wannabe comedians to not necessarily look for the comedy club as much as the place where it's really tough to do comedy when they're doing it in sports bars and all kinds of what we call hell gigs, where frankly, it's much more difficult. So then when you finally get yourself in a place where they're sitting down, paying attention, paid money, uh, I liken it to baseball when you're in the warm-up on-deck circle with a bat with a donut, and the bat is really, really heavy. And then you take the donut off, and the bat is light. That's what it is. If you if you do hell gigs in the beginning, and you finally get a good one, then suddenly it's like the donut's off the bat, and it becomes much easier. But, you know, like, and for me, like every comedian starting out, writing your own material is so difficult. And then, of course, writing it and finding out it's not funny is, very painful. And the problem with stand-up more than any other performing arts, performing art, I should say, is that it's your own words. 
So they don't like what you're not only they don't like you, they don't like what you're saying. Uh, and that's that's makes it much more difficult than doing someone else's words. If you're in theater and you're performing someone's bad play, well, it's just bad play. What can I do? I can't fix it. But when you do doing stand up, if you're doing your own material and that's another story for another uh, buddy cast. But mm-hmm. if you do your own stuff and in the beginning, I would always slide two or three Rodney lines. Hey, I'll tell you, though, I would put Rodney in the middle of it, because if they didn't laugh at Rodney, uh, they hated me. Uh, that was that was the problem. They hated me. Forget the material. And then you have to, you have to learn to be likable up there. It's really important in the beginning. They have to like you. Then they'll give you every break in the world. If you go out there with a you wouldn't know Bill Hicks. You're too young. With a Bill Hicks in your face nasty act, you lose the audience within seconds because you're not that funny in the beginning. So you're better off going out and be likable and making fun of yourself. Very important. Make fun of yourself. But. I, I remember those nights. It was in New Jersey at a club called Rascals Comedy Club. It was one of the best comes in, clubs in the country. Jackie the Joke Man Martling would host Tuesday night open mic, and I'd get my two, three minutes. And some nights I would be a big hit, and some nights I would not so big a hit. Mm-hmm. All, all part of the learning curve, it really is. Mm-hmm. And when you get a job on ships, unless you're on Carnival, uh, it's another learning curve because the audiences from around the world and they don't know who you are, and they didn't pay a dime to see you, and they'll eat your lunch if you're not ready. <laughs> you know, you speak about all like the struggles of comedians too. One of the big struggles is hecklers. Do you have any funny yet audience appropriate heckler stories for us? No, not you know. It's been years. One thing about ships, they they very seldom are you ever heckled on a ship. Uh, I worked for Oceana Cruise Line, predominantly Princess. I worked for men, all of them one time. And we just don't have that happen. When I used to do late night comedy, uh, yeah, you would have people coming in at 11, 30, 12 o'clock hammered. And you'd have to try to shut them up. And frankly, I'm terrible with hecklers. So I was very quick to say to the gentleman or the lady, look, I would love to talk to you. But the rest of the audience didn't come to see you. They came to see me. So you just have no choice. You have to sit there. And if you don't want to sit there, then you're welcome to go to another bar. But you just can't keep yelling out. And I would say to the audience, do you agree? And they'd all scream, get rid of her. And that was the end of it. Because the other problem with hecklers on a cruise ship, they are paying guests. And they sober up the next day, find out they embarrass themselves. They go to the hotel manager and they complain about the comedian. The comedian embarrassed me. No, you opened your mouth first. If, if that person would have just sat there and been quiet, that would have been fine. So I never engage him. When I work comedy clubs, God, it's been years. I guess Las Vegas, Atlantic City. I used to work the comedy stop at the Trop. I'm trying to remember. I guess at one time or another, I probably, you know, interacted with people. But it's been so long since I've worked in that genre of a comedy club that I, I just don't deal with it. When I'm on a ship, it's a big theater. And the people that are well-dressed, they paid a lot of money, and they're very respectful. Nice. Yeah. Now, let's jump to, let's jump ships here a minute, and let's talk about your show, The Really Big Broadcast. Well, that was just another uh, – this is audience-appropriate brain fart of mine. When, I, when the pandemic came in March, I was on a ship, beautiful ship called the Oceana Serena, Serena and uh, had to leave like everyone else and came home and thought we'd probably be off until September. And a friend of mine is uh, – uh, his son is very successful in internet-based radio. Uh, he's partners with Shaquille O'Neal and ShaqFu.com, and he has a Ooh. podcast, and he's got a country internet station. He's very successful. And I was 
learning about it, listening to it. And I thought, you know what? I bought myself a little mixer and a computer and let me fire up a radio show, just radio in the beginning, uh, just myself, Drake in the morning, two weeks into it. A good friend of mine who's had 80 television appearances and toured with Crosby, Stills, and Nash, John Farentino, was on the show and said, hey, I'll hang out with you and be Ed McMahon if you want. And then it kind of grew from there with an additional uh, uh, friend of mine, B.J. Odom, who's 40 years in radio. My own, my wife, Dottie Colossus, joined the show. Then we put it on social media, uh, and I don't like it because I can't play music because it's all copyrighted, constantly being worn. But it got big enough that, uh, you know, they're watching us in Bali and checking in from Serbia and all over the world because our audience, our listeners and viewers, our cruise, uh, cruise, cruisers and cruise staff members and officers and hotel managers, that's who watches and listens to the show. Um, and I didn't plan on it consuming all of my time, but it does. We have fun doing it, but it is, as you know, a lot of work. I just recently dropped it from a weekly show to once a week very much like your buddy cast, because you know how much time goes into just, you know, one, one hour a week is a, a lot of work. And we do two hours. We do two hours on a Saturday night with a panel of commenters, influencers, movers, shakers, and opinion makers. And we also have at least four guests on every uh, two hour broadcast. And so mm. it's, uh, it's, uh, you can go to best at Very easy to find us. My uh, website is also, developing into a resource for uh, cruise industry travelers and staff. A lot of guests. We've done 130 of those shows, probably 150 interviews, and they're all in the archives. And I'm exhausted talking about it. <laughs> Real quick, where can you? Where can we find the show again? Bestedseeradio.com. Awesome. You know, the one thing I love talking about my guests is about positivity. We've had we've had a lot of negativity going on this past year from the pandemic to all the mumbo jumbo that went on, even all the election stuff, you know, we just need some positive feel good moments. How would you be able, how, what would your advice be for spreading positivity today? You know, I just, our show has never been about politics, although uh, I'm the, I'm, I'm the right winger on the show. Uh, right. We, we never went down that road. I'm not really, I'm just in the middle, actually. I'm in the, mm -hmm the common sense family, but we never went down that road. We were just about two hours of fun and funny. Um, in my own act, I don't do politics because it's the kiss of death on a cruise ship. Um, as far as, you know, spread, I don't know. I, I'd like to think that, you know, that is possible, but honestly, uh, when 74 million people voted for one guy and 80 million people voted the other guy, and they're both very much devoted to their sides, it's a very difficult task. We just try to have fun. I actually fooled with it uh, on this past Saturday show, a little political humor and uh, got some pushback already. I mentioned, you know, we have a new president, lots of changes. Now the Oval Office smells like our grandfather's house. And uh, a harmless joke because Joe is 78 and, you know, he's older than me. My house can use fumigating. But yeah, it's really uh, no one wants to be reminded of anything. So uh, as far as spreading, you know, I, I'm that way. I'm very tolerant of the other of everybody, whatever they have to say. So I guess that's my advice. Would we, we can start laughing again um, uh, without the bitterness and the hatred and the mean jokes? I mean, you know, really brutal stuff that never existed under the Johnny Carson, David Letterman era. Letterman, yes, he got bitter in his 
as they get older. But Carson never went there. Just get it back to, you know, poor Jimmy Fallon. All he wants to do is fun and games and karaoke with celebrities. But NBC is pushing him all the time to be, you know, be hard and do political jokes. And he said, can't I just do impressions and tap dance and fool with the band? Mm -hmm. That's what I would suggest. Just tap dance and fool with the band. I don't know if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Great advice. Good advice. Now, another question I always ask my guests who come on this show, or as I call them, buddies, mm -hmm. is in your own words, what does it mean to be someone's buddy? Uh, you know, just you're there for that person. I, it's hard. I mean, I don't use that word buddy in Jersey. It's like, hey, buddy. It's, it sometimes has a different uh, use. Hey, hey, buddy, what are you doing? Um, but, you know, just to be there for somebody, you know, like a friend, a buddy, you know, you know, with a reason. Hey, Nick, don't look for money. That's all I'm telling you. I'm from Jersey. I'm your buddy, but don't look for no money. It ain't going to happen. I'm a little tap. I'm waiting for my stimulus check, just like everybody else. Where's my 1400? Same here. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the first one. Oh, no, I got the first one, but that's yeah. actually, what are you going to do? It's, mm -hmm. It is what it is. Our government doesn't move very quickly. You know, I, I have a joke in my act when we're in uh, Spain, uh, people go on tour, and I was on the tour one time, and the guide said to us, uh, now we'll take you to the bullring. You don't have a bullring in your country. I'm like, yeah, we do. It's called the House of Representatives. You don't watch mm -hmm. it. Nothing happens there. Just bull, bull, bull. That's it. Mm -hmm. But yeah. here in America, people will be laughing their heads off. Yeah, well, he, he kind of laughed. If, yeah. if you travel overseas, they we're not the most beloved people in the world. Let's put it that way. Oh, yeah. I totally understand that. So now, what are your hopes after the pandemic? Like after, let's say everything clears up, get the vaccine under control, all that stuff. What do well, you hope and dreams? We go back to work. And um, for us, it's, you know, my wife is a cruise director for Oceana Cruise Line. I'm a comedian. We work together. We've had a wonderful life. We travel around the world. It came to a very abrupt halt because of the uh, China virus, as he would say. <laughs> Um, so we hope that, you know, that we get the vaccine distributed and, and the cruise industry, which has been destroyed more than any other in industry. And, you know, a lot of people in America, well, they don't pay taxes. We don't care, but they don't understand that the hotels and the, the Uber drivers and the dock workers and the travel agents, there's billions involved in the travel industry. It really is uh, huge. And it went out the window, and it's not going to return until summer. And that'll make it almost uh, 14, 15 months, 16 months, where the ships have been you know, sitting idle. So we pray for a return. I know that our, our particular cruise line is overbooked all of 2022. They can't wait to get back out to sea. I, you know, I look for the day when the mask comes off. I will tell you one benefit of this is, and having been in the cruise industry for 25 years, people wash their hands now. Uh, that was always an issue. In fact, on, on Princess, on the big ships, they are forced to wash their hands before they go to the buffet. They must wash their hands because people didn't do it. They do it now, and that's going to help the flu. Uh, other uh, terms of virus because people are like, oh, I ain't taking any chances. So I hope for whatever normal is. And I, you know, I hope that, um, you know, we get, get back to and appreciate actually I do. I mean, I would sometimes get a little tired of being in Venice, Italy, Italy. I know that's shocking to people, but I would get tired of it. I look forward to returning to the Mediterranean maybe later this summer. So we'll see. That's it's, always, it's always fun to see the people who were complaining about their jobs beforehand. Just talk about that. But then nowadays they would give, 
any oh. organ in their body just to get back in the office, just to get out of the house and just. Yeah, I you know for us for comics, if we're not if we're not complaining, we're not breathing. And when you when you work for major cruise lines, you fly coach and you you get multiple flights. Uh, I don't have that problem anymore. Our deal with Oceana is wonderful, but other comedians, you're working for major cruise lines. You're flying to Europe. You're you're not going there direct. You're flying one, two, three flights. If you go into Asia or Australia, you're doing 24 hours in the air, four flights. It's brutal. Uh, and every comic I know would grab that gig right now. They would take it in a heartbeat rather than me doing drive-in shows in Dubuque or whatever, ever, you know, whatever it's taken to stay. One of the things that we discovered with our show is that the comics love coming on it because there were four of us on the panel. We laughed at their jokes. You know, entertainers miss it. They miss, you know, the chance of being out on stage. And we work, you know, our ships are smaller, but the guys working for Royal Caribbean Celebrity Princess, you're working 12 and 1,500, 2,000-seat theaters. Uh, you walk out, and it's electric, and now you're working a drive-in show, you know, in Port Charlotte, they're honking their horns because they think it's funny. It's it's just beyond bizarre. And of course, I joined the virtual world as many comedians have, and I've done shows where there's no audience. I tell them all the time. I used to work for Holland America, so I'm used to uh, I'm I used to a room without an audience that's laughing. But it's weird, you know, doing a show when you can't hear anybody laugh. Mm -hmm. in, the, in the beginning, I was used to it, but now after. 25 plus years, I expect people to be laughing. So, yeah, most definitely. Now, if you could have our audience donate to one charity of your choice, what would it be and why? The American Cancer Society. My wife and I are both uh, bladder uh, cancer survivors, bladder cancer for me, kidney for my wife. In fact, I mentioned it in my show Saturday night, Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, where we are patients and survivors now doing fine. They had a program for their uh, for their people, for their patients. So we went over and received our first vaccine shot. Uh, compliments of Moffitt and Tampa. That's a wonderful, a wonderful uh, hospital. And they took good care of both my wife and I. So and many of our family has been touched by cancer because it, uh, every family is. So it's a good cause. Yes, 100 percent. 100 percent. I believe in that. Now, you've mentioned a lot of advice for comedians. You've given a lot from cruise lines to just general statements. Like if you're not, you know, if you're not complaining, you're not breathing or whatever. What This is what we call the ultimate buddy cast buddy question, which is what is your ultimate advice for someone who wants to be a stand-up comedian? Well, first of all, go uh, on the Kindle or go to a library or a bookstore and find a book written by Judy Carter. It's called Stand Up, and I first read it 30 years ago. And nothing in the business has changed about building a set list, finding material, developing material, uh, making fun of yourself. Number one, don't go out there some wise know-it-all. They're, they're going to chew you up because you're not funny. You haven't written enough, and you haven't done it enough. So you want to go out. I used to have a shirt. Um, I wish I was wearing it now. It was an ugly shirt. And it looked like a, a, a thermos bottle. And I would always find a, a guy. Uh, in the beginning, I would wear it. And I said, how do you like my shirt? I just got it for my birthday. It came with a matching thermos and lunchbox. Not the greatest joke in the world, but the audience knew I didn't take myself too serious. And then from there, I could branch out and pick on other stories and things like that. But you always, uh, you know, try. I'm like, I'm trying to write a joke right now for a, uh, the, the new Equalizer uh, TV show with the Queen Lift Tifa. And mm -hmm. I know if I, I can't write a, 
a joke that says I, I, I don't get it. I have to write a joke that I love it. The fact that, you know, the first, you're too young, but the first TV show, The Equalizer, was a, an English gentleman who used to, you know, beat up people in between cups of tea. And now they've remade it, and now it's Queen Latifah. And I don't have a punchline for it yet, but when I write it, it's going to be the fact that I love the fact that she's doing it. Not the fact that I, I don't have an opinion one way or the other, but trust me, I'm going to love the fact she's doing it. And the audience is, the audience is going to go, well, most of them are going to go, good for him, because we think it's a cool idea, too. The other way around, if you're a comic, no. So always try to make fun of yourself. Um, keep it. I'll give you the whole five-second deal. If you're going to write material, keep it short and sweet in the beginning. Don't write long stories, because if you have one punchline and you tank, your three minutes are brutal. Write shorter, shorter things. And when you go to write, don't put in there that, you know, you're in the car. I just got a new Toyota Camry and we had the tires changed and uh, and I'd washed the windows. Who cares? You're in the car. This happened. Wipe out all the other stuff. A lot of comics put all that in to fill five minutes. But it's brutal to watch. Because, you know, I have a, a, a saying about even comics on ships, a bottle of water act. Whenever I see a comic with a bar stool and a bottle of water on stage, I know he doesn't have enough material because he tells a story, then drinks some water, tells a story, drinks some more water. You know, if he took the water away, he had a 20 minute act. So in the beginning, you want to keep it short and sweet, as punchy as and always use like uh, observation analogy. You know what? It's like, you know, like being on Nick's show, you <laughs> know, whatever that is, whatever I would write, being, or, or being on StreamYard. You know, in, well, this is the oldest cliche joke in the world. Being on StreamYard most of the time is like being on one of those old uh, science fiction movies with King Kong, you know, the Japanese ones where it doesn't sync up. But you always try to compare it to something else and just keep trying it. If you really believe in it, try it. The other thing is don't worry about getting on stage. Work your friends, but don't tell your friends it's a joke. Don't tell your friends, hey, is this funny? Just say it in conversation. When I started in Florida again, I was a waiter. I was a waiter at a fancy resort. And I would be taking lunch orders and dinner orders, and I'd be dropping material in. And I'd be saying, you know, you guys having a good day, a wonderful day. Me too. I tell you, strange. And I would do it. And they'd all laugh. I wouldn't say, hey, I'm a comedian trying it out. Will you listen to this and tell me it's funny? Because guess what? If they won't. They'll be so busy listening to it, they won't laugh. So <laughs> if you're among your friends, your family, whatever, just if, well, your friends, if they know you're going to be a, trying to be a comedian, they'll probably give you a hard time anyway. But just say it in conversation. Don't don't announce it. Hey, is this funny? Don't do that. Just do it in conversation. And you'll when I, I tell people all the time, I teach this on on the ship on how to make a, a story funny. And I tell everybody, especially the people that aren't going to be comedians, you weren't funny in the first place. So if you try a story out at the dinner table and you didn't get a laugh, nobody got hurt, right? But if you do it suddenly and you get a laugh, the grandkids are going, Grandpa must have changed his medicine. He's funny. And they don't even see it coming. Just don't don't walk up and go, I'm a comedian. This is funny. Don't do it. I wouldn't anyway. Mm -hmm. Great advice. I love the grandfather part, you know. Yeah, well, you know, the other thing is it's it's a tough business. The, it, you know, it is a tough business to make a living in the comedy club circuit. Now, when I started a long, long time ago, headliners and clubs were making a, a bunch of money. But that's when people paid to see the show. And I worked for uh, 10 years, I guess, in Las Vegas and Landy City at the Comedy Stop at the Drop 
in Atlantic City and Vegas. But the money was never that great. But you're in Las Vegas. Big deal. First time I got to Las Vegas, my name was in lights. It said comedian Tom Drake. Then it said $3.99 breakfast, 10 times craps. It just kept moving. It wasn't a big deal. Um, it was fun, but I don't do it anymore because the money's terrible. But in the beginning, you know, you're going to be doing $50 gigs, $100 gigs, driving, you know, here, there, and everywhere. Or just, you know, just doing local gigs where it's not going to be uh, that much money and you're not going to make, uh, you're not going to feel that good about it. Cause you'll be yelling over some guy at the pool table. <laughs> Done that. Yes. Do you have any final inspiring words for our guests out there today? Yeah. The other thing you can do is, you know, if, if you want to be a comedian, um, do that, but think about writing, uh, because when you write, it's here's the, here's the struggle with stand up. The people there have to pay attention. And when you're in a bad gig, they're not listening. When you're in a good gig, they're always not listening because they have to, what we call paint pictures with words. They have to connect the dots. And if they don't feel like connecting, you're in trouble. But when you write something funny and post it on a blog or whatever, people can actually read it and read it again. They can back up and make sure they got the whole story. So that can be rewarding. Otherwise, you know, Give it a try. I didn't plan on this being my career. I was 35 years old, and suddenly, you know, I've been doing it for the last 30 years. I've been all over the world, and but you can never stop working on it. Never stop. You can't live off the same 10 jokes. You gotta, you know, when we work ships, we have to have two different 45 minute shows clean. So it's a struggle. But give it a try. And writing isn't a bad way to go either, especially now. What are you gonna do? Exactly. You got all the time in the world. That's for sure. I know that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for being a buddy here on BuddyCast. It was a pleasure to meet you. And then uh, good and, and good luck to you. You've been doing it for a while, I guess. How how yeah, long? A couple it? years. About I think I got my first. Um, I think I got the first uh, open mic back in like 2017, 2018. Okay. So I'm not pro level yet or anything like that but well, keep going you know and again make fun of you. for me it's always about make fun of yourself try not to be controversial in the beginning because it's hard it enough to get a laugh as it is and if you're getting half the room is hating you that's mm -hmm. really difficult so yep i'll yeah. tell you my favorite joke off screen so okay you got it all righty for all my buddies out there this is my buddy tom drake again thank you for being a buddy on buddy cast my pleasure my pleasure do me one favor today. Go be someone's buddy. Nice thought. Yep. Uh, we'll catch you next time here on your favorite show, Buddy Cast. When the days are going fast, buddy, buddy, we've got to make them last. Buddy, buddy, before they've all gone past, buddy, buddy, tune in to Buddy Cast. Don't feel like it could make it